0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanity says The preacher, all is vanity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time that we have to be in your presence this morning as a church. God, thank you for a king who wrote a letter to us through your Holy Spirit that we can understand, that we can know, that we can grow in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. God, through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help me to be faithful to what you've said in the Bible. And as our Bibles would be opened, may you open the ears and and the eyes of our hearts to see the truths that you would want for us to uncover. God, give us wisdom. You told us that if we ask for wisdom, you would give it to us. So we ask for wisdom. God, would you be glorified in our midst? Would we truly be pressed and challenged this morning by your word In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, why don't you guys, if you haven't done so already, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's uh, in the Old Testament, so if you basically put your finger in the middle of your Bible, cut it in half, you're just going to go a little bit to the right, and you're going to find the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we begin our uh, study through this new book, and I just want to say aloha to every single one of you guys. Listen, we are so stoked that you guys are joining us with us at church this morning, and um, is a little challenge to some of you, uh, some, especially some of the university students that are here, we're glad that you guys are here, if you can, try to come to the 11 a.m. service, that would be great, because the 9 a.m. service has been filling up, and that's great, we're, we're so, glory to God for that, so we're going to ask some of you guys to go to the 11 a.m. service, so not today, we're not, you don't double dip today, okay, double dipping is frowned upon, so, uh... You can do that next week. We'd be glad to have you guys up just to open up more seats for our 9 a.m. I I don't know. Kona's like an early bird type of a vibe, and I'm still trying to figure that out because I'm like a night owl. Um, Nine o'clock's too early for me still, so you can be praying for your pastor there. Um, As we've been preparing and as I've been reading through Ecclesiastes, I have been praying for you, our church, that you would be blessed. Through this series. And notice I didn't say happy. I didn't say happy. Because the Bible, especially the book of Ecclesiastes, is not out to fight for our happiness. Happiness comes, and happiness goes, and there is more to life than being happy. When you're on your way to work, if you woke up, and it was a good day, you woke up on the right side of the bed, and the latte was made right, you're happy, and so now you're on your way to work, and then you get to work, and the first email you open frustrates you, and see, happiness comes and it goes. You're happy, and then one thing comes in your day, and then the rest of your day, you're not happy anymore. And the Bible is not out for your happiness. It's not out for my happiness. This book isn't about artificial happiness, but Ecclesiastes is cutting to the core of all of life. Ecclesiastes puts a comma in our week. It it causes us to pause for a moment, to stop, to think, to ask ourselves the questions in life. Is your life, does it have meaning? Are you really happy? And the thing that you've been pursued after, the thing that you've wanted, the thing that you thought, I put this here, I'm going to be satisfied, has it brought happiness to you yet? And what we are going to do over the next few months here and going through the book of Ecclesiastes, because that's what we do here at Shorebreak, we study through books of the Bible, as we go through this book we are going to be examining all the different pieces we try to put into our life that would bring us happiness. We need to examine the purpose of life. Now, Ecclesiastes is a book that is nestled within the Old Testament, making up what we know as the five books of wisdom literature. There, are, uh, Ecclesiastes is one of these five books. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song. Of Solomon. Now, most people have Bible verses on their coffee cups, t-shirts made, stickers that they put on their car, of proverbs, of 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 the psalms, even some like married couples, right? Like you're like writing, you know, at least the husbands are. Come on, a song of Solomon, they're going there to give a letter to their wife, hint, hint wink, wink. Um, and so we do that, and so, we're, and, and so we, we use these verses and we highlight them, but a lot of verses are not highlighted from Job, and a lot of verses are not highlighted from Ecclesiastes. It's just not that popular. But the reason why all of us, and especially my own, in my own life, I've been drawn to books like Ecclesiastes, is because these books are journals of individual experiences. And we often turn to these books like proverbs or like psalms or even like ecclesiastes at different moments in our life so that we can identify with what scripture says and our soul can be ministered to that's what happens in life i mean whenever you're at work or you're at church here or you're in community group and you find out someone else serves like if i find out you serve Like, we're that much closer. I know I'm shallow, but I'm just saying, like, it's like, if you serve, okay, and then the golfer is in here, all the golfers in the house, you find out someone else, oh, what kind of clubs do you have? Oh, yeah, where do you go? And and so you have this camaraderie, and then, and so what we do here is we find different books of the Bible, and we kind of align our lives up to it, and for me, Ecclesiastes has been a book that has rocked my world. In fact, when I was an early Christian reading through it, I was like, this isn't a Bible? Like, I couldn't believe that some of the things I'd read here was actually in Scripture and how honest this book was. So we turn to these books. Now, of, among the wisdom literature, these five wisdom literature books, Job is a rough book. Job is a book about Satan going before God. Now, we've got to pause there for a second. Satan has to go before God to get permission before he jacks anyone's life. Do you see the leash that Satan is on? We oftentimes, even as Christians, say, all right, it's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. And there's this equal war. No, there's not a war. There's a war going on, but the battle's won. Like, God is bigger. And so s- Satan has to go to God, ask God for permission to go mess up someone's life. And so God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? At which... God's like, yeah, of course. I mean, I know Job, he's mine. Satan's like, well, yeah, well, of course he's gonna follow. You've given him wealth, you've given him prosperity, everything's going well. If you let me have my way with him, he's not gonna worship or glorify your name anymore. And then Satan begins to have his way with Job. And so Job's out uh one day away from the house, working out in the fields, and, and a servant comes up, runs up to him, and says, Hey, Job, someone came and invaded from the north, and everything that you owned is. Basically, gone. All your livestock and your land has been destroyed. He's like, Oh my gosh. Then, as that other servant is talking, another servant comes and runs up and says, Oh, hey, Job, also, by the way, everything you built your life upon um, is falling apart. And so, more of your property, more of your things are being destroyed. And then, as that servant comes up, the last servant says, I'm the last one to survive of the servants. And I'm here to tell you that wind and fire came down from heaven. When in fire fell out of the sky and killed all of your children. At one point, you're like, "You for real? Like fire from heaven?" I get an army, but fire from heaven, and 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 so he loses everything. And Job, what does he do there? In that moment, he goes on his knees, tears his clothes, and curses God. No, he worships God. And so, some of you who've gone through horrendous things where you are losing or you have lost, you've. The, the, Satan is, is out to get you, and you've experienced that, and God has allowed it to happen in his sovereignty. Man, you, you you know that feeling you you tear your clothes and you find comfort in Job. Job is one of those books that we turn to. Psalms is in other books. Talk about emotional melancholy roller coaster of David. I mean, that guy is all over the place. King David, though, it writes the Psalms, and a couple other people write them too, but King David writes these songs that are, we call Psalms that we read that were once sung. They were worship songs, and some of these songs are, 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 you can see the struggle that David has, like we all have. David has intellectual knowledge and understanding of God, but his heart doesn't always feel what he knows. And have you experienced that before? You, you know something to be true, but you have yet to experience it in your life. And so, by faith, you have to trust in God. And so, that's what happens in Psalms. And so, Psalms, you see this gap between what we know and what we feel. And sometimes those are separate. And hear me out this morning. Do not live your Christian faith by feeling. Because if you live your faith by feeling, you're going to be an emotional roller coaster. Next week, you're burned out. Next month, you're burned out. You're done. You have to live by faith. And so the, the Psalms is our journey, uh, reading through the, the, the logs of King David. And King David's crazy. You'll read one verse. it says, God, why have you drawn yourself from me? Where have you gone? And then one verse later, two verses later, he's like, but God, you're so near. And you're like, what? I'm confused. I don't, I'm not tracking with you. We all find comfort in the Psalms. Proverbs, another great book, by living in wisdom, learning god 's law to be a person who has understanding who loves wisdom, and then Song of Solomon, yeah, Song of Solomon, uh, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read Song of Solomon until they reached a certain age it was it's It is explicitly sexual and graphic between a relationship of Solomon and his Shulamite uh, would become his bride and you can You can read through the story there later and um, and it's, it's an intense book, that's to say the least. But here's what I want you to see in all of these books. Do they fight for your happiness? Do they want you to be joyful and yuppie and just, oh, look at me. I've, no. It's, life is not walking through a field and picking daisies all day and just sucking in a lollipop and having the sun out and never getting sunburned. Even in paradise, we get burnt like We're in paradise. We're in the closest thing to Eden there is, and milk is $10 a gallon. I mean, (laughs) none of these books promise to make us feel better about life's superficial promises, and so here we come to Ecclesiastes, and hear me out. It's no different. In fact, of all the wisdom literature of these five books, and of the entire Bible, I would say, no book is more explicit and real and cutting to the core of the meaning and the purpose of life. The Ecclesiastes. And as we're going to venture through this book over the next couple of months, there is no soul in here this morning who does not cra- crave meaning and who does not desire purpose. You this morning desire purpose. You this morning desire meaning. I've never met any person who desires nothing and no meaning for their life. Everyone desires meaning. Everyone wants purpose. And we are all dealing with this problem. And we feel it. We might not say it, we might, but we think it and we feel it. So uh, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when the alarm goes off, you feel it, right? Ah, oh, it's Monday again. Man, I have to go to school Again. Go to work again to go see my same that same face again. Have to go have that same meeting again, and you see the repetition. And whether we say it or not, we all question the real meaning and the real purpose of the workout, of the income, of the parenting, of our education. We all question it. And in pursuit of Of this fulfillment, we get out of bed. Our desire to find meaning and purpose is what gets us out of bed, and we search for meaning. And since everyone desires meaning, let me ask you this morning. Where do you find it? Have you found it yet? It is at this question we arrive at Ecclesiastes of what this book is all about. So look down with me in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now here in verse 1, we are introduced to the author, to the writer, and He considers himself to be a preacher. Now, that's probably what most of our translations read. And that's not a bad translation, but that's not a fantastic translation either. In fact, in the original language, the the, the word for preacher there is implying teacher. So someone who isn't just proclaiming truth, but someone who is teaching. In fact, this type of teacher here that we have in Ecclesiastes is more like a philosophy teacher. It's more like looking at the bigger questions in life because oftentimes philosophers and those teachers types, they ask questions, but in preaching, we deliver answers. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of questions at which the rest of Scripture answers. The rest of the Bible answers what many questions we arrive here in Ecclesiastes. Now, okay, we have a teacher. So what? Like, who is this guy? All right, pre- preacher, teacher, boy, come on, bring it, man. What do you What do you got for me? Should I really listen to you? I mean, wh- why should I listen to you? What? What? Who do you think you are? Well, he says here, the son of David. Yeah, David. You know. You know David, David who slew Goliath. Yeah, that that David. You know, David, who was one of the most prosperous and most loved kings favored by God, who God considered a man after God's own heart? Yeah, that David. The David whose throne Christ would ultimately sit upon and rule upon. Yeah, that David, he's my dad. You know the game, my dad's better than your dad? Our author here wins. His dad is better than all of our dads, period. Period. So not only is he the son of David, he is a preacher and teacher, but we read here, king and Jerusalem. This is not king of Gettelville out in the sticks. So I'm like, yeah, Jerusalem, 5,000 people. No, Jerusalem at the time, this king is ruling and reigning, is the most wealthy and most prosperous and most loved and looked upon nation in all of the earth. And this king who rules it, his name, I believe, who is the author of this, it's debatable, Solomon. I believe it's Solomon. But either way, whether people believe it's Solomon or not, which I personally do believe it is Solomon, it's it's a debate for another time, another day. But nonetheless, they are writing from the perspective of Solomon. Now, what is this king? What is the son of David? What is this teacher? What is the first thing he wants to exploit to us? What is the first thing he wants to show and to reveal to us? Verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Welcome to church, right? Really? Come on, preacher. Take it easy. But Solomon here is wasting no time in answering life's biggest questions of what is the meaning of life. And it's not what you would expect, is it? Solomon says, vanity. The answer is vanity. Ecclesiastes, this book, just so you know, will not let you and me get away with canned answers for life. It doesn't do that. This book is brutally honest oh, you're searching for the meaning of life? Solomon say, well, guess what it is? Vanity. It's pointless. In fact, if you're taking notes, the literal meaning of vanity is meaningless. Meaningless. Now, you can understand why in our English translation they didn't put meaningless there because verse 2 says, if, if it did say that, it would be, meaningless of meaninglessness, is, says the preacher, but every time you come across the word vanity, think empty, think 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 meaningless, think pointless, think vain. That is what is being communicated here. And he says all of life is meaningless. Wow. He didn't say some of life. All of life is meaningless. I just want to give Solomon a hug right now, don't you? Like, bro, it's gonna be okay. I mean, I'll get you a drink. Can I take get you some food? There's antidepressants. I take you to. I mean, there are things that you need to take that fix your problem. But what he's going to do is talk to us and teach us and reveal to us all the different things in life that are. Meaningless. Now this word for meaningless in the original language is, in the Hebrew, is havel. And it appears 38 times throughout the book. So you do the math. 12 chapters, 38 times. Become very familiar with this word. So we continue now in verse 3. He says this. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. And around and around the wind goes. On its circuits, the wind returns. (laughs) So Solomon here says, even creation and all of its splendor and its glory lasts longer than we do. And so think of the greatest thing that you can accomplish in your life. Great. You've got it in your head. The greatest thing you can accomplish in your life. Is it going to change the sun? No. The sun is still going to go around. Is it going to change the moon? Absolutely not. The wind is going to do what the wind is going to do. The sun is going to do what the sun is going to do. They do the same thing every day, Solomon says, and they do. I mean, you can look at a tide chart before you go out surfing and they they have it mapped out for years in advance. We know it is predictable. Things happen. And so Solomon here says that our lives are doing the same thing every day, that we are going somewhere by going nowhere. Where have you gone? Nowhere, Solomon says. And you think, well, what does he mean by that? Well, I think a great illustration is those of us who live on this island you bought a car, maybe you bought it brand new, or maybe you bought it n- used, or maybe you ro- you're rocking a moped, um, I'll try not to cut you off the road, but I just might, watch out, or maybe you're on a bike, but whatever you drive, when you buy it brand new, or you even get it used, you see the mileage that you have on there, and, and what do you have on there, 10,000 miles now, 20,000 miles, 30,000 miles, okay, great, where have you gone? Oh, I went to YPO, no, no, where have you gone? You're still on this rock in the middle of the Pacific, Maybe you've driven 50,000 miles, which is almost enough. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. Probably go around the world, yet, or somewhere close, yet here you are in the same place. Solomon says, life is like a treadmill. You're running on this treadmill, and you're sweating, and your pulse is up, but where have you gone? You're still in the same place. We're like a hamster, right? Just running in a circle, like, oh. It's am going fast. Yes, you're going really fast, but you're going nowhere, bro. Nowhere. <laughs> we all work hard. We all play hard. We all like to have a good time, but we all know that past the distractions of life, we can't help but notice that just as the sun goes up and just as the sun goes down, we sense that there is a meaningless within, a, with, within it all and our hearts have a rock in it and we're like, wow, this is true. And maybe I haven't thought about it, but the Bible is certainly right about it. We wake up, we work hard, we go to sleep, and then what? You do it all over again. And then what? You do it all over again. You're gonna go to sleep and you're gonna wake up. And you're gonna go to sleep and you're gonna wake up he says in verse 7, as if we're not depressed enough, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. How many things? All things. A little bit full? No, they're fully full. They're full of of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Solomon is calling us out here. Do you feel that? I mean, he is saying that deep within our soul, we cannot help but notice the mundaneness of life, and he says that we cannot even utter it with our mouth at times. It's hard to put words to it. And even though we don't say it, we most certainly feel it, don't we? We absolutely do. That, that the streams flow, but the ocean is never full. And this week, or actually uh, yesterday, last night uh, we took a little break and decided to take the kids to um, decided to take the kids to the arcade. And so we're, we're there at the arcade. You talk about a place of vanities, arcade, right? Um, so you go, you go there at the arcade, and so we, we give them all their, their money, and, and they're there, and we're having a good time. And, and so um, one, of my, one of my kids, um, his first coin, throws it in on this game and hits the button and, like, and wins 1,000 tickets. And he's just like, what? And I'm like, dude, you won 1,000 tickets, man. I was so excited. And so we actually have a picture of him. Look at that. 1,000 <laughs> tickets. 1000 tickets and this is like he's going to turn so they're like behind his back and like going down his leg i mean they're everywhere 1000 tickets and he was pretty he was pretty stoked that he wanted that there's frogger so if you ever want to win 1000 tickets just that's the game that there's a secret right there um so uh anyways though so, so he has all of these tickets and and he's not even sure what to do with it, i'm looking at it, i'm like 1000 tickets oh my gosh, do you know what we can do with a 1,000 tickets? And so um, he's not even sure what's going on. My wife's sitting there for like five minutes, like, come on, baby, keep coming tickets. And she's just grabbing all these tickets. All the other kids are like walking, looking at my son. They're like, whoa, can you buy me some stuff, like up bit thing? Can you get me? And so I walk up, and I'm looking. I'm like, dude, we're getting a bike. We're getting a stuffed animal. And I look, and I'm like, what are we going to get? What are we going to get? And I look, and I'm just like, 14,000 tickets for a stuffed animal. Vanity! I'm studying for the Sunday, and my soul, I, in a moment, had a hope. I was like, maybe it's going to deliver. Maybe it's going to satisfy. All right, here we go. You're getting a new bike, son. Nope, you're getting a stupid little plane that's going to break in a day. That's what you're getting. Don't tell him that, though. Don't, do not tell him that. He thinks it's awesome. <laughs> my eyes were not satisfied with seeing My eyes were not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You know when you hear that favorite song on your radio, and then it goes, and you're like, uh-uh. And then finally you buy it, and then you play it all the time. You're like, ah, it's it's annoyed now. Your ears are never satisfied with hearing. The eyes are never satisfied with seeing, and nor are we ever. What has been is what will be, verse 9. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this, new? It has already been done in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Solomon is trying to make sense of what he can see in life under the sun. And what does he say? He uses this phrase here in our verses that nothing is new under the sun. Now, in our study this morning, that's going to show up three times. And the phrase under the sun makes an appearance 29 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. You need to understand this verse and this truth very quickly. Under the sun. Because if you don't understand what he means by under the sun, then as you read through Ecclesiastes, hopefully as as you do and as you'll read ahead and study this book, that as we go through it as a church family together, that you will realize that this if you're if you're not if you don't understand under the sun, you're gonna be depressed. I'm I'm not even kidding. I mean this this book is not going to be of a benefit. But what he's saying here by under the sun is he is looking at all of creation and all of life under the sun, and he sees its brokenness. And he says, what's actually new is not even new. It's just our turn. So we're like, all right, here we go. We're going to invent something. We're going to do something special. And at the end of the day, great, go ahead, go for it, by all means. But it's not going to be new. You're not going to reinvent the wheel. I mean, the, the wheel is the wheel. And you're like, yo yeah, well, I'm going to this Nothing is new under the sun, he says. Nothing. It's already been done before. And everything we do to be remembered, he says, won't be remembered anymore. Wow. You guys ever watch that show, like, Where Are They Now? Some, like three of you know what I'm talking about. It's a show that talks about where, see, exactly, that makes my point all the more clear. Thank you. Do you remember your great, great, great grandfather? What's his, what's his name? Anyone? Anyone? What's his name? I'm serious. If, if you know, great, great, great grandfather. Anyone? Okay, a couple of you. What, 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 what are the three biggest accomplishments they did in their life? I, I thought so. No one is going to remember. Your life comes and your life goes and then guess what? We're not, not, not going to remember. We're not going to remember. And that is exactly his point. You're not going to remember. Verse 12. There's hope coming. Don't worry. Hang hang with me, guys. (laughs) If the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is under heaven, And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Verse 16. I said my heart that I have acquired great wisdom. Surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart. To know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that it is also but striving after the wind. Now, we're going to unpack a lot of this actually next week of of, of Solomon's um, qualifications to do what he is doing here. But basically, right now, he's saying, I'm the king of Israel, take it from me. Like, I have it all, I am a king. You do not have it all, take it from me. It's all like striving after the wind. Now there are certain things in studying and being students of God God's word here in Ecclesiastes that would seem like He is endorsing something that you didn't know the Bible endorsed. And and anytime as Christians if we're going to be students of the Word of God, we, you and I have to be very careful of, of taking a one verse out of context and applying that to our life and just running with it, not even knowing what the surrounding verses are saying in that. And you, you have to especially do that here in Ecclesiastes. Because what happens when we do that, we take a little verse like a fortune cookie and we forget everything else that was around it, then we fall into the error of misinterpreting Scripture. A good example of this, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 9, 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. All the partiers in the house are like, amen! I knew, there was a Bible verse for that. Thank you, pastor. Now I got some ammunition. What'd you say? I can't go drink? Huh? No. Bible said, hey, I, I can be merry, and I can be happy, and I can enjoy bread, and be merry, and drink wine. That's what the Bible says. And, um... In fact, when I was uh, working at a coffee shop here in town, uh, I got invited to go bar hopping. Um, and for those of you who don't know what bar hopping is, has one goal in mind is just to get wasted, to get drunk. That's the goal. And so they, they, uh, they, uh, they invited me to go bar hopping, and I was like, well, no. And they're like, why? I mean, and they, I'm not even kidding. They said, I'm sure your God would approve of it. No, no, as a Christian, I'm sure your God would approve of it. And, and Ecclesiastes 9.7 seven, like, yeah, yeah, actually he does. Well, too bad there's Ecclesiastes 9:10, which says, For there is no work or thought or wisdom or knowledge in Sheol, which is the grave. Buzzkill, right? Let's go partying. You're going to die. Oh, okay. Okay, Solomon. Wow. He says, take it, no, 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 take it for me. All is like striving after the wind. But again, take it all in context. Take it all for what it means to be under the sun. And let's look back at verse 15 now. Here's what he says. This is very helpful. This is very important for you and I to understand. He says this, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Our man Solomon here seems to be exploiting the crookedness of everything under the sun. And you can almost hear that behind every discovery Solomon makes, every conclusion he arrives to, he is experiencing the broken promises and the broken things that are within creation. This place where we live, you guys, is broken. Do you know that? It's broken. It's not perfect. Solomon is not examining creation the way God originally made it in Genesis 1 and 2, when everything was perfect. But Solomon is examining and looking at everything under the sun, which means that this preacher is examining the world after the fall. That's important to know. See, in Genesis 3, what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is man failed to glorify God. Adam and Eve failed to glorify God. Now they were walking with God in perfection. I mean, they loved God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. But what happened is they exchanged the truth for a lie. They listened to the serpent and not God the Savior. And so in doing so, in exchanging the truth for a lie, they worshiped created things rather than creator God. And so they worshiped this fruit because the fruit would make them become godly. It would give them knowledge like God has of good and of evil. And in doing so, the moment they bit into that forbidden fruit, Creation itself was fractured. Creation. Like there were no thorns. And then there were thorns. The lion would lay down with the lamb. Not anymore. Not anymore. We would get sunburned, right? There's vana now. I mean, (laughs) there was no vana then. But in creation, no, no, no. And, And then in the fall... Everything that was made perfect was broken, including man's relationship and communion with God. So no longer now does man walk with God in the cool of the day, but he lives under the curse of creation and of 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 sin rather. And so thousands of years, check this out: thousands of years after sin has ravaged the earth, Solomon is still experiencing that same agony that Adam and Eve did. And because original sin has been passed down from Adam and Eve to you and I, you and I experience the same thing, do we not? That we have all experienced the vanity of this world. That we have all experienced the brokenness of this life. That we have all tried to to drink from the well and we're still thirsty. That we've all tried to, all right, I'm going to get that thing. I'm going to enjoy this thing. I'm going to watch that video one more time. And then it's going to satisfy me. And Solomon says, no, it's not. It's vanity. It's vanity. It's empty. And he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted This king and preacher is still experiencing the emptiness of sin. And Solomon says, under the sun, if this is as good as it gets, it is meaningless. That all our pursuits under the sun are in vain because it leaves us empty. Ecclesiastes illuminates that everything we pursue under the sun, that a life apart from God is meaningless. Now, even if you're Christian, I'm talking to you too. Yes, you are not as you once were, and you are not yet what you will be. And in this stage, there is still something within us that craves things that we do not have, and this drives so much of what we do. And some of us might say, Yeah, well, Jesus is my greatest pursuit and desire. Okay, yes, but you're still a sinner, and your heart still has a bent towards sin at times, and so, yes, maybe Jesus is your greatest pursuit and desire, but you have a bent, and you will go astray at times, trying to turn to a thousand other things other than God, looking for more. Now, listen, it's not wrong to want more. I would say it's not wrong to want more of God, but it is wrong to want more and restlessness apart from Jesus. Why what is crooked cannot be made straight what is lacking cannot be counted because the last thing a meaningless life needs is more vanity if you have gone to if you have turned to things that are meaningless please solomon says the last thing you need is more vanity Ecclesiastes shows us what life looks like apart from God. You want to know what life looks like apart from God? Ecclesiastes is your book. And what happens is the Holy Spirit will remove the fig leaves that we have used to cover our nakedness, like our first fathers, Adam and Eve, and he'll expose us and he'll show us and say, look, look how empty you are. Look how you're trying to just cover up and it's not really working. I mean, have you felt a fig leaf before? Have you felt a fig leaf before? That's what Adam and Eve used to cover them. Like, no! that oh, was their. Cl- and he's showing us what is crooked cannot be made straight. You would do well to learn what this preacher, what this teacher is trying to convey and exploit and show you. And here's what he says. Under the sun... You cannot fix yourself. Okay, then what? If everything is meaningless, if all is vanity, then what? You have to look beyond the sun. Look beyond the sun. And when you do, Jesus Christ, our Savior, can take the most crooked life and make it straight. He can take the most empty life and give it meaning and purpose. He can take the most desperate soul and need and say, no, 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 no. I have created you for a greater purpose than living for your own. I have created you to live for my glory. Look beyond the sun and your life will have meaning and your life full of purpose. So in verse 18, we close it out with this. For in much wisdom... Is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Isn't that true? Like when you're a kid, all you want to be is an adult. And when you're an adult, all you want to be is a kid. Because wisdom increases sorrow. It hurts to learn more the more wisdom and understanding we have of life under the sun that is in fact meaningless, the more painful it is for us to grasp this reality because we have all built our life under the sun, haven't we? At times, we've erected different things, we've built different things of what life is and what life looks like under the sun because we have fabricated our life on false promises. Author, writer, and poet Carl Sandberg said this, That life is like an onion, you peel it off one layer at a time, and sometimes you weep. That as we get to the deeper meanings and the deeper truths of life and more things are uncovered, it hurts at times. And this poetic and seemingly depressing book of wisdom is not out for our happiness, that's for sure. So why is such a hard piece of truth to deal with? Unless you realize how empty your life is, looking beyond the sun will never seem so beautiful. Unless you realize you are sick, there's no desire for a great physician. Look past the sun. He isn't out for our happiness, but he is out for our purpose and for our joy. And our purpose, your sole purpose in this life is not to live for your own glory, but to live for God's glory to live for a glory better than your own, to live for a purpose that can give you more purpose than your life could ever have. He isn't out for your happiness. So King Solomon here in Ecclesiastes is asking questions that the rest of the Bible answers. This is why it is good for us to go through this book as a church family. This is why we need to deal with this because Solomon forces us to deal with with life. Get past the plastic. Get Get past the shiny car. Get past the paycheck. Get past the glory. Get past the mundane, and you will realize that this all, everything under the sun, is meaningless. Some of you are like, I love this series. I can't wait to start. Vanity, vanity, preach it. Why? Because you're going to go, and, and this week when your wife asks you, Hey, honey, can you mow the lawn? You heard the preacher, baby. Vanity, not mowing the lawn. But then others of us are like, well, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't like it. I don't. Here, it's in the Bible. And you're not comfortable with it. Because you've avoided some of these things that Solomon is going to confront us. And so that's what we are going to do over these next few weeks. We're going to slow down. We're going to pause. We're going to think. We're going to examine our life under the sun. And when we do that, Solomon says, we arrive at the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Through faith, by wisdom, we can get past emptiness and, fulfill, and, and an unfulfilled life because everything in life apart from God is meaningless. So look past the things that are under the sun and look to the one who is above the sun. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. Let's pray. God, thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you for your uh, word. Thank you that everything in a life exposes us that the purpose of meaninglessness is so that we would find our hope and value in you. And so God, as your word has gone out and as we've taught through this book, Jesus, we pray that not just today, but in the weeks to come, that those of us who are empty, that those of us who have turned to things that are other than you, God, that we would develop a, a new understanding the more than sight, the more than touch, the more than feel, the more than smell, the more than hearing, that we would develop a new thing called faith and that would only happen, Jesus, that only happens through you. Because we know on our own what is crooked cannot be made straight, but you, God, who transcend and who are above all things can take the most crooked things in our life and make them straight. God, thank you that you do that. So for those of you who have sat in here and you've heard the word of God go out, and you've heard the word preached, and if you've turned to meaningless things in life, and you do not love Jesus, and Jesus saved you this morning, Jesus has revealed the son to you, his, his grace to you this morning. Jesus has revealed that everything under the sun is in fact meaningless, and that everything you are looking for in life is found in him. Thank God for him doing a work in your life. Repent from your sin and turn from your wicked ways and have love and affection for him. And if you are a believer this morning, if you do love Jesus, stop turning to things other than Jesus to find fulfillment. That thing won't save you. I know you hope it will. That boyfriend, that girlfriend, that car, that paycheck, that dream—it's not gonna do it. It's only found in Jesus Christ. God, thank you this for this time that we've had. Let us come to the end of this ourselves, and arrive at your feet, Jesus. Pray this in your name, Amen. Well, hey, blessing to uh, be able to study this book with all of you. Um, Invite you guys out next week. Continue to be bringing your friends. Let us be a church on mission. This is, this is a great series for every believer and also for many non-believers. And so be, who are you going to invite next week? Be on mission. Get the gospel out. And um, again, if, if, if you are able to come to the, the 11 a.m., hopefully the 11 a.m. won't be quite as full as the 9. If so, we'll deal with that later. But for now, we'd love to have you guys come out um, at the 11 a.m. next week. For now, though, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in worshiping God through our finances. Um, we believe that one way we are on mission is with our finances to be a church that lives for a purpose, that lives for a glory greater than our own. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from God above. And all of everything that we have that is good is from God. We're going to be talking about that. There are some encouraging things in Ecclesiastes, too. We'll get there. <clears throat> everything we have is from God. It's not 10%, it's all of it. So whatever God puts on your heart to give, to support the gospel going out, you can go ahead and take the time to do that right now. Give cheerfully, give joyfully. Uh, if you're visiting, this is your first time, by no means you're not obligated to give. If you're a Christian, definitely not obligated to give. Um, give your life to Christ. <laughs> and uh, and so you can make a check out to shorebreakchurch.com. We have a giving kiosk out, Shorebreak Church. You can give at shorebreakchurch.com. Give there. And there's a giving kiosk out on the back where you can give through credit and debit cards. So love you guys, and we'll see you next week. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, Send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.